1: What's up, people? Some of you listening to this might might know that uh, it wasn't out right on Tuesday morning at the normal time. Ah! Uh, I got a little behind the eight ball. It's just been a long week and uh, I was feeling, feeling a little on the outs and it took me a minute to get this all done, but it is done. And so you have episode number 93 of Homesteads and Homeschools with your guest today, Mr. Zach Zach came on to talk about uh, his homesteading uh, stuff that he does and uh, a unique hobby that he has along with it, um, and how he's using that to make make some money um, on the side here and there, and, and hopefully some some more money as uh, as time goes on. But what else, uh, Zach? Or what do we what are we talking about? What's his hobby? Uh, talk about blacksmithing, dude. Dude makes things really hot and bends them and shapes them and makes them into cool things. Yeah, we're just we're just gonna get into it. Check it out. Uh it's good dude. Fun time. And uh, come back next week. Hopefully I will be here on time for you all. Let's go plant those liberty seeds with my guest, Mr. Zach.
0: And right with us Yamong with the angels on the night, crack wind clatter, flash rain bite on an outside uniform. Rough shot winging sky blue. Light.
1: My guest today is uh Mr. Zach over here on the, the eastern seaboard with me. I don't know, is it, is it seaboard? I guess we're close enough. I don't know. Yeah, we're over here. <laughs> so, Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so, no, no, I, I saw uh, a few things on the the Twitter there that um, piqued my fancy. Thought it might be an interesting conversation. I don't know. So, here you are today. Um, where did you did you grow up? Kind of doing homesteady type stuff at all or is this like kind of more new adventure
0: um it's so it's sort of a sort of a new thing but i I come from a long line of like uh homesteady farmer type people but it's skipped a generation so um, like my grandparents and great-grandparents were all farmers in central pennsylvania um and then my dad grew up in poverty after he lost his dad at a young age um and he sort of just went completely normal, you know, everyday life, the three kids, wife job, but he has to work nine to five every day. Uh, we moved around the country a lot. So we never really had a, a place, um, to, to settle down. Um, so I sort of got into like the homesteading aspects of everything sort of in college when I, I started doing some prepping, um, and doing research on all that kind of stuff for self-sufficiency and whatnot. Um, and sort of carried it on, you know, in a minimal way until I finished up with grad school, college, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, now I'm finally, uh, in a place where I can start doing a little bit more of what I want to do with my own property. Um, and trying to get, you know, more, more self-sufficient that way. So it's, it's a new passion sort of, but it's, I think it's been building, (laughs) you know, from a family tie for a long time.
1: it's always been there in the the background,
0: just getting ready to,
1: to bust out. Um, what, what, made you kind of uh start looking at the the prepping sort of thing or or start doing some of that research.
0: Well I, I think it was uh <clears throat> it, it was more like I think a lot of people say that it was like 2001 when the terrorist attacks happened on nine eleven. Um I was too young for that to really affect me. So I'm I'm not really sure what the event was that brought me into it, but I just I remember that in college um, I was way into reading, you know, like speculative fiction about uh, the, the end of times and all that kind of stuff. So, I guess "A Last Babylon" by uh, by Frank that that sort of uh, piqued my interest a little bit, and I started looking more into it. Um, and then I found uh, the Survival Podcast by uh, J- Jack Spierko. Um and he sort of lays it all out as not panic driven, but preparation driven so it's not like the stuff you see on doomsday preppers or anything like that he takes it from a prepping should make your life better even if you have a normal life going rather than you know waiting for the shit to hit the fan and that's what i liked about that aspect of it yeah
1: i I can't remember who I, i i spoke to somebody once upon a time um about kind of a little bit about prepping and like that there is this this disconnect between like what you see on TV and what's advertised as prepping and what's actually just, it's kind of common sense, right? Like just be prepared for something that uh, might be, you know, not so good. We're not talking like zombie apocalypse here, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, something. So
0: no, that's, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's always the common events that are the most inconvenient. So like, I just, I remember I was, I was living in a place probably about two, three years ago that we got a blizzard and I was snowed in for three days. And normally a lot of people would have major problems with that. But because I had all my stuff, you know, I'm, I'm just chilling here, you know, eating some, some canned food, drinking the beer that I've made and watching TV because I, di- I didn't lose power. So it, it was not really a big thing. And this was, you know, before teleworking and all that. So I didn't have to work either. So it was sort of like a little vacation, um, right. but it's, it's definitely not you have to take into account some of those large scale events, you know, like uh nuclear war is a possibility, but how likely is it, you know, but how likely is it that you lose your job? It's pretty likely. So prepare for the small stuff and then work your way up to the, the big stuff. And then you're good for pretty much anything.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, that's what people don't think about. Right. Like it's uh so if I, if I do lose my job, um, I have this to, to fall back on, you know, that when they think when they hear that prepping, they are either thinking nuclear war or, um, coronavirus or, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Can't, yep. But, um, it is, it's like the, the little things that you very likely could well go through. Um, and to have that little bit of stash or backup to, to fall on is, could be useful. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you've, you've, um, kind of just moved where did you not like where but what did you move from and what did you move kind of into like were you in a in a apartment in a city somewhere and now you're out in the country what What does that look like for you
0: yeah so uh i guess it was about uh, two or three years ago um i was working right outside of harrisburg pennsylvania um so it, i was across the river so it wasn't really the city um and I didn't really like that because I could still hear, you know, the shootings going on at night <laughs> across the river. Um, but I was working, you know, as a technical writer back then, and uh, then I got the opportunity to uh, join my dad and my brothers uh, in a company that they had started. And I took that opportunity. Um, ended up moving in with my parents up at their their old place, which was way up north of Pennsylvania, and then we moved our office way down south to almost the Maryland border, um, and. I started looking for houses. I had contracts on several and they all fell through. So as a person, you know, late twenties, mid thirties ish, I'm living with my parents. (laughs) It doesn't look good. It's a libertarian living in his mom's basement. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But then finally, uh, got, got the chance to, to buy this place and it's, uh, maybe, you know, 10, 15 miles from where my parents live now. Um, it's not, super country but it's in the country enough like surrounded by farms and all that kind of stuff that it's it's a place that i can do what i want to do which is really nice and you know it's, it's an old house very solid Um super happy to have it and still working to <laughs> unpack all the stuff but uh, that's how it goes usually yeah it's uh i i, I hate moving uh, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: um it's, it's nice in the sense that like you get to get rid of some of the junk that you've accumulated, but at the same time, it's
0: just, man, this. Yeah. You you know, the the weirdest thing is that all of my stuff fit into one garage bay at my dad's place. And I moved it in here and I'm like, Holy shit, I got a lot of stuff and I didn't even realize. (laughs) That's, that's it.
1: You, you go, you like you, it forces you to take inventory of everything that you have and really kind of buckle down on what you, you actually need. Um, so you're you're kind of you said you're able to do some of the things that um, you want to do. What are what are some of those things? I know you mentioned you uh, you brew your own beer. What else do you do you get into? So
0: my my biggest uh, my biggest thing is obviously uh, if anybody follows me on Twitter they know that I'm big into blacksmithing. Um, so I have a space here that I'm working on to actually set up an indoor or covered shop rather than the thing that I was going on, uh, back at the dad's place, which was just, uh, a stone pad out in the backyard. Um, so that's, that's probably number one priority right now, getting that set up, getting uh, the wood shop like right next to it so that I can do all the handle work and stuff on tools that I make. Um, another big things, gardening. I got probably a 20 by 30, uh, vegetable garden plot out back that's already sort of there it just needs to be tilled in and, and you know set up uh but i think my most lofty goal for this place is to make a batch of beer that is completely 100% from this property <clears throat> so i've got a space out back that looks like it used to be a piece of a field i'm going to plant that with barley uh in the, the spring i'm going to grow that out going to thresh it malt it um, use that as my base for the beer I'm going to grow hops. I'm going to try and culture some wild yeast and my water is from a well. So if all goes according to plan, I'm going to be able to do a 100% property made beer uh, by next fall. And that would be absolutely outstanding.
1: That would be be impressive. When you, when you culture yeast, when you get yeast from that, um, when they made beer, like back in the day, was it like natural airborne yeast? Is there some sort of, Yeast on the, the barley and stuff that that helps add to it, do you know?
0: Yeah, uh so one of the things that I, I've been really into is the history of beer making and back in the day it was it was wild fermentations to start almost everything because they had no idea what yeast was. So uh it, it was a lot of the times the monks would put stuff in uh open barrels and let it get infected and I'm sure they lost a lot of batches that yeah, month. yeah, for sure. But the, the legend goes that the guys that would stir the mash after they put it into the barrels would never wash off the paddle and keep it in a safe place and always stir it again with that same paddle, which infected it with the right yeast. So in my case, wh- whatever I can get here, I have to basically put out a bowl of sugary water uh, or uh, extra mash and let that get infected by the, nor- like the bacteria and the yeasts right. and the mold that are in my air and then sort of try and encourage that natural yeast to grow into its own colony. And then it's still not going to be like a pr- professional beer brewing, but it's going to be unique to this property. So it'll be interesting.
1: How, how do you, um, how do you prevent it from becoming like, uh, cause I've, I've tried to do that with cider um, and I've made a bunch of kombucha and stuff like that. So how do you prevent it from Picking up, like those sort of yeasts that um, less on the alcohol side, and more on like the the vinegary side. Because I, whenever I do cider, cider, it, it it doesn't matter. Like I cannot make a batch of cider; it turns into apple cider vinegar. End of story. Um, so how do you how do you prevent that? Do you know?
0: So it's it's kind of a you have to go as you go through it. You sort of have to make judgment calls on it. Uh, what I what I've done before in the past when I've taken wild yeast is I put out a bowl. I don't, I don't let my, my mash or my uh, cider sit out. I cover that up. So it's all, it's not getting infected unless I infect it. So Mm -hmm. I put out like a bowl with whatever I'm trying to make in it and then watch for the cultures. And there's a lot more scientific ways to do it. And I think uh, I need to go back and read it, but in how to brew John Palmer uh, actually goes through a little bit of wild yeast culture. um, And that, that's probably what I'm going to follow. I've only done it once before and it was probably ten years ago, so <laughs> I'm a little rusty at it but there's a, there's ways that you can isolate the the yeast I think it's by preparing the right type of food for them you know so you're feeding them what that specific strain wants instead of what your vinegar uh, strain wants or you know that kind of stuff so it's going to be a, a learning process definitely I'll probably ruin a couple of batches, but <laughs> that's the way it goes you know.
1: Hey, you uh, know, as long as it won't kill you drinking it, it's not ruined, right? <laughs> exactly. It's not that I brewed a few batches. Um, I just never, never really got into it, into it. And um, my brother and I, one year made, like, just came up with our own recipe and uh, used a bunch of maple. We used a bit of maple syrup and we used, instead of water, we used uh, maple, like, sap. Oh, yeah. And man, it was, it was awful. And then, so we just let it sit in the basement. It was like we can't just throw it out. Like that's you know, and came back in like I don't know, maybe two or three years, um, and found it. We're like oh hey, let's let's see what it tastes like. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was like the, the best thing ever. Um, it's it's funny how it uh, the the fermenting thing kind of goes. Sometimes you get really good stuff. Sometimes it's not so good. And sometimes you just gotta wait.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird how some of the stuff is like so terrible up front, but then when you let it go, it's just like manna from heaven. Yeah, I mean, I, I had uh, one batch a while ago of, uh, of mead and I, it's basically just honey and water and yeast. Right. So how can you screw that up? But when I tasted it after the initial fermentation, it was like rocket fuel. Like I, I could have made hooch out of that and sold it as white lightning, but um, let that sit for, you know, six Seven months, which I guess is what you're supposed to do, but I wanted to try it anyway. Um, that stuff turned out to be one of the best meads that I've ever had, so you know <laughs>
1: awesome yeah yeah do you uh, do you ferment anything else or is it
0: just just the beverages uh, I'm, I do sauerkraut um, i've actually uh, when I moved in here, the people that that used to to own it they had uh, probably four or five tomato plants out back, and they're still producing tomatoes and I have no use for that many tomatoes. So I went out there, I picked a bunch of green ones and I'm trying a lacto fermentation of uh, green tomatoes now to see what that's like. Interesting. I have fermented a
1: bunch of things like that. Um, Like random, I did some dill, lettuce, stuff like that. Um, I've not tried tomatoes. Have you, have you read anything about that or seen that mentioned anywhere?
0: I, I found a few recipes for lacto fermented green tomatoes online. Um, but it seems to be an outlier. The, the big thing people like to do with it is a a quick pickle of, uh, green tomatoes. And I did one. I did some of that too. And it turned out pretty tasty. It's just like a, you know, a store-bought dill pickle almost without the crunch. But, uh, you know, it's, I'm hoping for, for the best because I don't really like tomatoes that much, but I didn't want to. Uh, Okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I hear, I hear. That's a, I'd be curious to hear how that comes out. Let me know. Um, 'Cause so we, we don't do well with tomatoes down here sometimes, sometimes we do, but, um, yeah,
0: I guess you guys have more blight down there with the humidity and stuff, right?
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's just it, the, our, our garden is like, I, we got to do something with it. We got to fix it up. Cause it's just, it's, it's been beat up for years and years and years. And doesn't matter how much we amend the soil and our soils crap to begin with. So, but yeah, tomatoes are tough. Cause it's, uh, it's, uh, getting them in at the right time of year because it gets hot so fast so uh, i think it's like about 90 degrees 92 degrees during the day and then i think if it if it doesn't drop below oh god i don't know, like 70 74 or something like the blossoms won't set and so it just aborts all the fruit or whatever and so you know you have a, a hot spell early on and it just kind of messes
0: everything up at least that's what i've found but yeah i, I could see that being a big problem it's We we had a really hot summer up here this year, and the tomato plants my mom planted they didn't produce anything until September, and then they put on a bunch. So it's it's definitely a big weather dependent thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Did you do you grow your cabbage, or are you going to try to?
0: Yeah, I'm definitely going to grow cabbage. Um, in previous uh, previous batches of uh, sauerkraut that I've done, my my one buddy who lives over near Reading, uh, he was growing so much cabbage he didn't know what to do with it so he brought like five heads down to me i made a five gallon batch he made a five gallon batch and then we uh met up and taste tested the differences um and both of them were really good but they were actually really different because that wild fermentation aspect so uh, that was a cool experiment did you guys so you guys both
1: let them kind of ferment on their own
0: yeah we uh threw them into uh five gallon buckets he took his back to to Redding and set it in his basement um he put an airlock on it after it started going, so you know it, it was infected with whatever was in his basement. So that worked out pretty well for him. And I did the same sort of thing here, and yeah, they they were very similar, but very different in other ways too. So interesting. That's kind
1: of cool. So I'm I'm curious about the uh, the blacksmithing, smithing there. Um, I don't even know. Like, how do you get into that? How do you, how do you, like, what do you wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm gonna go make some metal really, really freaking hot, try not to burn myself, and smash it, and pick up heavy hammers, all that. Like, how do you, what, how does that happen?
0: So, I, I, I keep thinking back to some, somebody else asked me this recently, and I, I was thinking back to why I would have gotten into this at all, and I think it, it started as an idea uh, from when I was a kid. We went to like a a civil war recreation thing in the Gettysburg area and I the blacksmith that was there gave me a nail and I still have that nail but I didn't really think about it for the next, you know, twenty years. Um and a lot of people think, you know, was it Forged in Fire or something, that, you know, the knife making show on the History Channel or something like that. I never really watched that either. So I'm not sure what got into my head. But just one day I started looking up how to blacksmith and how to get into it. And it's sort of intimidating um as you can imagine it's just like where do you even start uh and it can be very expensive is the the big hurdle um but if anybody wants to get into it uh it's actually not that hard to get started it's not you're not going to get perfect results but you can get started with just two bread tins a uh a harbor freight anvil a uh barbecue grill uh lighting fan um and a hammer and, and you know tongs or you can use um Vice grips, something like that, if you don't have tongs. But, you know, it's basically the bread tins, you line those with a plaster of Paris, um, put a tube down through the bottom so you can inject air down underneath it. Uh, And I always use charcoal because it gives me the best result. But you basically clamp two of those together. So you have a clamshell with a little hollow space in the middle of it, Uh, put your charcoal in there, and then you light it and put your uh, barbecue grill fan on it, crank it until you get up to of really hot heat, throw some metal into it, pull it out, and hammer it on your uh, harbor-freight anvil, and you're basically blacksmithing at that point. Um, and then from there, if you really like it, uh, you start spending a lot of money, which I've done. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I was lucky enough to to find uh, my, my dad's cousin's uh, father had been a farrier for a very long time, and he had an anvil sitting in his barn that he wanted to get rid of, so I got that thing for 300 bucks. It's a hundred pound anvil. Uh Equivalent would be probably 1500 bucks to buy it new. Um, Found a post vice on Craigslist for, you know, a hundred bucks or something like that. Those things go for 600 new. Um Then you know, hammers and stuff. It's just, you, you acquire a bunch of them. Yeah. And I acquired uh tongs, started making my own tongs and, you know, on, on from there. So, <laughs> How do you like, like when you start
1: scaling up and you make your oven or buy your oven, like, do you, how big is that? Where do you have that set up and what, what can you actually make with it? Like what how, you know,
0: well, so the, the first part there with the, uh, the forge, um, you can forge. You can, okay. Yeah. You I'm can, sorry. No, you're Cold good. It <laughs> it's, it's, it's all terminology, man. It's no big, no big deal. Um, the first thing I started with after I did the little bread tin things, um, I built what's called a, uh, just a box of dirt forge. Um, so it, basically you just take two by fours and, uh, two by sixes, build a box that's on legs, fill that with dirt. Um, and then you can, you, you slide a pipe in through the side and I used a mattress pump as my bellows. Um, so you stick that on the side and then that delivers your air. You can put, uh, coal or charcoal in that. And you can forge with that. I really like charcoal over coal because around here, all you can get is anthracite coal and that does not burn well. Um, so, you don't get really good results with that. Um, and then I got sort of – go ahead. Where Where do you find the stuff like the coal and the
1: anthracite coal? I mean, that, that has very little meaning to me. <laughs> like where – you know, like how do you – like is are there specialty shops is this just stuff you can get at like the hardware store like what there's a
0: couple of options i mean there's two types of coal that you would use in blacksmithing other than charcoal uh one is bituminous coal uh which is sort of like fluffier coal and that stuff is really hard to find it's only mined in like two places in the u.s um anthracite coal is basically what made pennsylvania like the coal capital of the u.s for a while um that stuff's everywhere but that I, I get that stuff at Harbor Garage, uh, not Harbor Freight, um, Tractor Supply. They, ha- they have bags of that for home heating. Um, if you want bituminous coal, you have to go, you have to find a place that has it, or you can go online to buy it, but it's like 50 bucks a bag. Um, and I don't want to be spending that kind of money. And then there, there's also another thing you can throw in there, uh, which is called Coke. It's, and that's, uh, that's already burnt up coal. It's just the remnants of coal. So like the charcoal form of coal. Uh, and that stuff's really good, but that's like 70 bucks a bag. So I'm not buying that either. Um, charcoal is what was used for thousands of years. So I stick with that. You get super hot heat. Um, I've actually melted steel when I turned my back on it for too long and (laughs) ruined an entire project. But, uh, charcoal, you can find anywhere. Just It's that lump, the lump charcoal, not the briquettes. Um, briquettes don't burn right. So you don't want to use that. Um, but yeah, the, uh, Lump charcoal, like cowboy stuff, or uh, royal royal oak is what I use. is smells good and it's hot, so <laughs> I'll use that all day long. Um, but yeah, after after that, just a box of dirt forge. Um, I got tired of uh, the small heating area that coal gives you, uh, so I went out and I bought a propane forge uh, from a place called Double Forge. They're over in Lithuania, um, <laughs> and they, they have an eBay store i think it was like 150 bucks shipped and it it doesn't get as hot as charcoal but it does more than what i need for it and that's actually pretty small um it it, that would fit on a desktop but uh i I sit it on top of the, the just a box of dirt forge and that works out pretty well uh big problem with that is with those huge propane burners you go through a lot of propane really quick so it's a little bit more expensive but um I've started selling some of my stuff to offset the cost. So it, it's starting to work out all right. Awesome. So what are you what are you making? Um, so the, the thing that, that most people are going to start out with if they start with this is what I did is uh, you make decorative hooks uh, for the most part. So I, I did that for a very long time, made probably 150, 200 hooks. Uh, so many hooks that nobody else wants any hooks in my family anymore. <laughs> but uh, Like zucchinis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to get rid of them or they just pile up. Um, then I moved on to, uh, I made some nails and stuff like that just to to hone this, the fine, uh, points of the craft, um, made some chisels, some punches, mostly just stuff that I needed as a blacksmith, because that's one of the things you don't really think about is there's a lot of specialized tools in this. And if you buy all of them, you're going to go broke. So I'm making punches, chisels, uh, cutoffs, um, there's these things called Hardy's hardy tools, uh, in an anvil, there's this thing called a hardy hole that you put these tools in and, um, you bend stuff with it, bending forks, all that kind of stuff. And I, I sort of moved on to things that I thought people would want to buy. Um, so I make dinner bells. Um, those things are really, really nice. And then, you know, hammers and then, uh, on Twitter, uh, Quincy, um, what, what's his name now? I don't even remember. Um, yeah, the fat chick guy. Yeah, he, fat chicks are awesome. That's what he is. <laughs> uh, he requested that I make him a uh, like a Warhammer type thing. So I went ahead and I made what I could out of that. It wasn't exactly what he wanted, but then I showed it to him and sent it to him. He's he's pretty pleased with that. So I'm I'm happy about that one. Um, but then I, I guess what I'm moving into now is uh, another follower on twitter sent me a piece of art and asked if i would make her some uh hanging basket um, brackets for her backyard to screw in defense posts so as soon as i get my shop set up that's that's where i'm going next
1: that's that's awesome She's so getting some uh some custom custom jobs there
0: yeah it's it's kind of cool that uh twitter has led to being able to actually make stuff for people
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, for sure. I hate that place. But
0: yeah, it's it's a hell site, but there's some good people on it. <laughs> so you um
1: this is just like a, a hobby at this point, right?
0: Yeah. Uh my main gig is uh the, the company that my dad, and my brothers and I run, uh we do security uh security gates, um hollow metal doors, automatic doors, you know, all the stuff that's getting screwed up and all the riots that are coming. <laughs> oh, <okay>. So... <laughs> i i remember the the second year we were in business uh there was a riot down in baltimore i think it was the freddie gray uh police murder and uh we made a lot of bank on that one and now it's coming down to like philly and the dc riots that happened a couple of months ago and baltimore they're all going to shit so we're constantly busy so <laughs> the the blacksmithing thing is uh sort of on a little bit of a hold, I have maybe a day out of the week to try and get my shop set up. So <laughs> it's working out.
1: Now, when, when you get that, when you get your shop up and you go to work on a project, um, how much time do you need to, to work on it? Is it something you can do like a half hour here, you know, an hour there? I imagine not, but, um,
0: well, it, it, it depends on the, um, on what you're making. There, there's a lot of things that you can sort of just start and then you can stop and pick it up later um that don't really matter uh there's some things that are specialized like if you're making knives or a hammer or something like that you really need to get the, ba- the base of it done so that it can cool in the right way that it's soft enough to work with the next time you're on it um so like a knife i'll 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 get the entire thing beat out into its rough shape and then I stick it into uh Basically, like a ceramic uh gravel material let's stick it in there so it cools down very slowly uh, and that's normalizing it uh basically taking the stresses out of the metal so you don't get cracks and stuff in it later um, then next time I pick it up, I get it up to a certain heat it's It depends on what alloy you're working on, but most of the high carbon steels that you make a good knife out of you take them take it up to about a a dull red heat about i want to say eight to nine hundred degrees. Fahrenheit and then yeah (laughs) and then with those you got to stick those at that temperature into uh, like an oil quench or a water quench depending on what steel it is Um, so I use like I use vegetable oil in my oil quenches and you quench that stick it stick it down in so it starts to cool pull it out and uh, sort of uh, you scrape off part of it and see if it's still hot enough to make the steel turn color if it is you got to cool it some more but once that's done it's hardened and then you have to get in an oven for about two hours at 400 degrees 500 degrees somewhere in there to uh, temper it so that it's not brittle so it's when you're making tools and stuff like that it's critical to know a little bit of metallurgy in it um but most of the stuff that i'm making like decorative stuff it really doesn't matter say i'm going out to start a hook uh you know a hook is gonna take me maybe fifteen minutes to complete one um I'm trying to get that down with some jigs and stuff like that so I can actually mass produce them for customers when I get an Etsy shop going but uh yeah most most of the stuff is pretty easy it's the the tough stuff is where you have to like do complex bends and you know scrolling work and all that kind of stuff so it really does just depend on what you're making at that point
1: all right well, sounds good I, I wasn't sure it was. Getting the heat going, I would think you just try to get it all all done in one shot, but I, it sounds like you have to let it, it cool to some degree
0: at some point. Yeah, and that, that's why I, I like to work on multiple projects at one time, so I can make use of that, that heat. Um, with propane, it takes probably 5-10 minutes for it to heat up to forging temperature. With coal, uh, you know, you got... Five, 10 minutes to get that fire really going, um, and I don't want to you know just do one thing <laughs> after waiting for sort of ten. Minutes.
1: Is there a way to, to extinguish the coal to kind of hold on to the the heat for later, like bring it back later? Or once you get it going, is it kind of
0: well with with charcoal? It's it sort of just burns. You got to pull what you want to save out. <laughs> um, with regular like bituminous or anthracite coal, you can uh, you can bank the fire so you get like the really hot ball down in the The base of the forge, and you just pile up coal on top of that. And you probably got about, you know, two, three hours you can come back and, and still get that going. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of a once and done thing on most fuels. All
1: right. Well, I appreciate you, uh, taking the time out this morning to, to do this. Um, if people are interested in, in, I don't know, seeing some of your work or, or getting you to maybe make something or, or, talk to you or anything where where can we go what should we do
0: yeah uh it's a uh, m- main thing is going to be twitter it's at uh, zarathanarchy um and then uh I, I worked on a website it's not done yet so i'm not gonna talk that yet but yeah, uh, yeah twitter's probably the best place i'm also on discord on some some of those servers with uh, some of the twitter people that are leaving um but yeah just uh feel free to send me a message and i'm, I'm always happy to talk to people
1: all right, sounds good. I will do that when you get your your website set up. Let me know. Yep, we'll do that. Put that on here too. All
0: okay. right. All
1: right, man, thanks. Yep, thank you. Mm-hmm. all enjoyed that. Um, I don't think blacksmithing is any, anything that I will get into anytime soon. I have lots of other projects to work on, but it is something that, um, it might be useful just to, to tinker with, to toy with, to figure out, is this something that I could actually do? Could I actually make a hook or a nail or, or do something? How does this all work? It's a very curious process at the very least. Um, so if you're interested, uh, check check it out. Go hit him up on the Twitter. See if you can get him to uh, to make you something. Uh, to to um, I'm sure he would be be willing. Guys, that's all for today. Go check out the show notes, homesteadsandhomeschools.com dot slash zero nine three. Go over homesteadsandhomeschools.com dot slash amazon. Click through the link and start buying your your Christmas presents and all that. Stuff through there, and uh, if you feel so inclined, go to patreoncom the Liberty Hippie and uh, set yourself up with a, a subscription there. Help out the show. The last thing I'll tell you to do for, for me is to go and leave a review on iTunes, share this show with a friend, uh, pass the word around, and, and let people know. I guess that's all. <laughs> Get out there, you guys. Sow those seeds of liberty. We can all reap seeds of freedom together.